Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show this week. Love being back here. It's it's a beautiful day here in Vero Beach, but beyond that, it's a wonderful day because something's kind of shifted for me. And I have to say it's probably because of the last few guests I've had on the show. We've been talking a lot about mindset. We've been talking about a lot of different things. And I just think that mindset is so critical to everything that we do. And I don't know why, but as Mother's Day is coming forward, it's really brought up a lot of emotions for me grieving my mom again it's just brought everything up and I just thought it was totally appropriate to have my next guest on the show I first met her husband Dan Morris and he introduced me to his to Rachel Rachel Marie Martin and he said you know she's got this great book out but beyond that we're doing some amazing things and I started talking to him and I'm like I have to have Rachel on the show so um, please join me everybody in welcoming Rachel Marie Martin the author of The Brave Art of Motherhood Fight Fear Gain Confidence and Find Yourself Again but it's really all about finding joy she has this amazing website findingjoy.net she's this active blogger I mean the statistics 50 million page views Rachel, 272,000 Facebook fans, probably even more by now, 8.5 thousand Twitter, 5.8 K Pinterest, 13 point, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And Rachel, I have to tell you that your book, I, I haven't read the whole book yet, but what I've read of it is really fascinating to me because it's really not just for mothers, well, well, first of all, thank you for having me, and I appreciate all the, the kindness, but I would agree that it's a book about mindset, which I love that you're learning and talking about. It's a book of mindset for, for all, of the, all of us, and I, I knew that I wanted to write it that way, but I also wanted to write it specific to moms in a way that recognized the journey that a mom is going through, kind of the mindset situations that, that I dealt with as a mom, so unlike maybe any kind of general self-help book or general motivational book, I really took parts of it and geared it to, to the journey and the situations that we face in motherhood as well. And now, I've never been a mom, yet the six years that I took care of my mom before she passed, I always said mm-hmm. to people, I am a mom because now right. I'm taking care of my mother and it's like my child. And I, I've had fur babies, you know, the four-legged kind, but I've never been a mom, but yet, to me, there's so much in everyone, in some cases, where a parent without realizing it. I mean, I had a company for 15 years, and my clients and my staff were like my kids. I would to- I totally agree. I mean, I can see that. I can see it in life that the, the lessons of motherhood in that way are applicable to all the different events we have. Like, it's that kind of giving of yourself beyond often what you think that you can give or you're capable of giving and caretaking and all of that is in essence showing up for somebody else and there's these times when you show up and you have to kind of delegate and figure out um, what to do and as I talk about it's a lot of times it's this level of bravery that we miss that's so that's so 
Rachel, are you there? I am. Okay, I lost you there for a second. Sorry, you you blipped out. You you said oh. the the brave art, the bravery of motherhood, and then you you were gone. Oh well, I was t- saying that specifically. A lot of it is is we have this level of bravery as caretakers or as moms or entrepreneurs that we often miss. We don't recognize that the deepest bravery to me is the day in, day out, showing up, believing in somebody or something so much that you have this kind of undenying, like this tenacity to yourself. Yet we get so lost in that sometimes. I I know that when I was taking care of my mom, which I do not regret in any way, but at a certain point I was like, when do I get time for myself? When is it about me again? Yeah, very true, very true. And I find that for, as moms, that that's a really easy thing to get lost in because whether it was taking care of your mom or me with my children, there's something very noble and important about what we're doing. And it's easy to get lost and to say, I'll get to taking care of myself when this season is done. And yet, we all know, like, you can't run out of gas in your vehicle, yet sometimes we allow our own personal self, our heart, our own health to run out because we're so busy taking care of everybody else. It's interesting that you use the the gas analogy because I was reading and, and heard another interview where you talked about the out on the outside, everybody thought your life was perfect, that you had the perfect life, you you had more than enough money, but yet there was one day you were like, I can fill up one gallon of gas in my car. And Yeah, that's true, yeah. And it's very much a, a metaphor that, and I know this was a reality in your life, right? I mean, you went from poverty to who you are now and putting on a face to the world and then having to admit to yourself that I can only afford a gallon of gas literally and figuratively how do you move from that was there a moment when all of a sudden you said to yourself i need to shift how i'm thinking it was i would say it was a build-up of moments often on the outside we see one giant moment but there was a time where i specifically remember thinking life is going to pass me by no matter what And I'm either going to be an active participant in changing this or I'm going to continue to put on hold everything that I need to do until circumstances hypothetically seem better. And it was this conscious choice that in deciding to change my life, I knew that I was also teaching my children that there's power in taking control of situations that seem that they're out of our grasp. And that whole idea that something's out of our grasp was what I wanted to change because just that mindset of thinking that way in some ways uh, negated me from responsibility. So any place that I told myself, no, I just can't do that, I kind of about-faced and decided this is the exact space I need to step into. I've been talking to uh, some of my clients lately, and a lot of stuff has come up since I had Jeff Nicholson on my show a few weeks ago, and we we talked about growth mindset. It's this whole idea of the rut. And I know you said, you know, you realized at this moment, at one moment, but it was a series of moments. And and I love that because it's so beautiful. It's hard to move from that rut where the wheel is stuck 
deep below ground and you're trying to turn left or right and you're being forced on the same path because of your thinking or because of perceived circumstances. Are there steps that you found you had to keep repeating over and over again to sort of fill the bottom of the rut so that your your direction could begin to change easier? I love the analogy of filling the bottom of the rut. I think the first part was recognizing that you're in that rut and then understanding that it's uncomfortable to break out of it. Uh, I give an analogy often of the riptide and that swimmers that get caught in the riptide, in the beginning, they can't go back against it. They have to kind of flow with it, and it's uncomfortable because it's this different space. But they, if they swim away from what they think is normal, they can break free. And it's that resistance that we feel, that kind of rut, that deepening, that we have to be okay with being uncomfortable. And so for myself, it was understanding what made me go back into the rut, what made me get fearful, what makes us go back into those spaces. And then when you understand it, when it happens, then you're like, oh, yeah, this is just part of whatever's pulling me back. And for me and for other people, it's remembering that even if I stumble a little bit, it, what matters the most is that I stand up and keep trying to break out of the rut. Eventually, you'll climb out of it. What would be your question to trigger my my listeners to go, I'm coming, going back into my rut? Uh, for me, if it's, it is what it is, it's out of my control, it doesn't matter. If I find myself saying those things, those to me are kind of balm. They're the passive way for me to not deal with the space. And so if I found myself going, you know what, it doesn't matter. That often is the exact space I should be paying attention to something that really matters. Uh, I tell people, if you say, it's no big deal, I'm fine, it's probably a big deal, and this is a space that you need to, to work to get out of. Uh, it's just, that brings up lots of emotions. My mom's favorite phrase was, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, and I'm fine. You know, everything's okay. I'm fine, even when you're not. And my listeners know I'm dealing with some serious health crises, which the update everybody listening is I am going to be having surgery on my ear to hopefully fix the sound-induced vertigo. But it's interesting because to me, I grew up hearing it is what it is and feeling relief in it. It's just like, okay, it is what it is. I I don't have to love it. I don't have whatever, but there that's the situation and then my mother would go from here you can choose to just let it go or you could choose to say all right i want to change it is what it is so i love that yeah because it is what it is it's just saying well this is the situation these are the facts and i I, go ahead go ahead well, I was, I was just going to say, what I love about your mother's perspective with it is, is it wasn't a dogma. It wasn't set that it is what it is, and I'm not capable of changing it. It's more of she gave herself this choice. I either can accept it, that this is the reality. There's places in my life where it is what it is. 100% stands true. My son has celiac disease. 
And the fact that he can't eat gluten, it is what it is. But I can make a choice within that to decide to work with him to have the best life with that as the constant in it. I think where it is what it is gets the dangerous part of it is is when it's put on something that's a variable. It's on a place where we have the power to change it. And we're using that as a band-aid for a space where we probably could be active in changing it. So it's applying that extra set of questions to whatever your situation is going on. Is this something I can change? Is it something I can't? Do I want to? Yeah, I think it's being aware, asking those questions, um, just not sinking into it. Like in my situation 10, 15 years ago when I I felt really hopeless in my my life and the situation and I, I dealt with severe financial issues. And it is what it is, almost became a way of coping versus a place where I realized, like you asked in the beginning, was there a point? And there became a point where I decided to flip the paradigm of it and decided, you know what, I do have power to to change this. I have within me the resources to make tomorrow different than what it is today. And from there, how long did it take you to feel like you filled the rut in and you weren't going back or have you ever, or have you never reached that point? There's always still that the rut wants to call you back. I would say that now I'm, I'm out of that rut. I will say that there's scars from it, that there are certain situations where I can feel myself thinking about the old way of thinking. Uh, when I, when it, because I lived with so little money and such intense uh, money issues, there are times where money still can get a grip on me, where I feel that fearfulness, but it doesn't draw me back in the rut. I'm just more aware that I used to have that line of thinking, and I'm working to develop a healthier paradigm with it. I would say where I felt comfortable, where I wasn't going to slip back into the, the old way of life, it was probably a good two years, maybe three, before I started realizing, you know what? the situation has changed and one of those instances we chatted about was with the gas for my vehicle was the day that all of a sudden I filled up the entire tank that was a moment where I realized this is a powerful reminder that something that this financial situation in my life has changed and from that day forward every time I get gas I fill it all the way up to remind me that I'm no longer in that past paradigm That's important. I want to talk about that a little bit more because a number of my listeners have said things like, I feel like I'm slipping back in. I, I know I've moved forward in my life, but it just keeps wanting to draw me back and getting them to do gratitude things is, is difficult for a lot of them. They, they believe it, but they don't have some sort of trigger moment that can bring them back. Tony Robbins calls it um, getting into your state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did his firewalk back in the 80s, back when it was still called the firewalk versus I think it's date with destiny now. And he would bring you up into state and he'd make you do some sort of hand or body movement and build you into muscle memory so that when you did that, it would pull you back into the better state, the state of your forward, your your positive state versus that rut. So for you, filling up your gas tank each time has now become that muscle memory that brings you into that state? 
it's one of the ways that it is definitely the muscle memory that reminds me. It's the benchmark that is like, this is how far you've come. Because sometimes you're right, it's easy to slip back. And in those first years when I really had to work to get out of the grip of the cycle that I was in, I had to do very simple kind of muscle memory tricks or whatever, you, as you call it, to keep myself focused. And one of them was, is I would listen to music that had very empowering words to almost overwrite to be louder than the fears in my head. If I was feeling like I can't do this, I'm failing, I would listen to music that would say the exact opposite. It would be the words of, of empowerment so that even despite my own fear, I was flooding my brain and my heart with truths that I had not yet completely sunk into believing, but they, that, that noise, that loudness of the, the song over, overwrote the fear in my heart. So you created a soundtrack for the life you wanted. I did. I did. I have a, a soundtrack definitely for that. Um, and I've, I've had one of my oldest daughters was really struggling for a while. And I said, I just want you to listen to this music because I think often we get so wrapped up into our own internal thoughts and that, that thought kind of will spiral. And the point for me with the music or with the gas now or having the word brave in my house is to constantly remind me of where I am or if I'm in that situation where there could be a spiral, it breaks me out of it, breaks the trajectory. That's so important to recognize that moment where your trajectory is heading in a direction that is not healthy or future benefit. It's heading you in a direction of back into that rut or those thought processes. Is, is there one song that whenever you hear it, it just lifts you? There's a couple. There's one by One Republic, Marching On, and it was so simple. It was just simply you put one foot in front of the other, and it became this image for my life that I didn't have to cross the finish line today but I just had to keep going. It was more powerful to just one foot, one foot, one foot. And what I've learned is all those feet add up to, add up to you know, yards, and which adds up to a mile. And often we, we look so far into the future. We want to see the end, and we forget that in order to get there, it takes one foot in front of the other. I don't know if Run Republic took that song from the old Christmas uh, movie where um, the elf who wants to be a dentist fixes something and then he starts singing, put one foot in front of the other and soon you'll be walking out the door. Do you remember that? I do. I do. It brought back many memories. (laughs) And that song's been sort of my mantra. That and from Frozen, Let It Go. Oh, yeah. That's so good. That's so good. I've, I've made a quote once that said, Life is a mixture of karma, which is basically let it go, and grit, which is put one foot in that in front of the other. And it's figuring out the tension, the balance between both. So it's perfect. Oh, I love that quote because there is definitely a tension. And that's what you talk about so much in all of the work that you do, all of your finding joy, all of your social media, your blogging. I, it is really about finding that tension 
point and having it no longer have the power over you. Yeah, it is about not having it have that grip of often when we, we, we look at it at those moments where it's, I don't know what to do, and we label ourselves. We think, well, I, I've failed, or I'm not good enough, or what did I do? And it's more of deciding to look at what did I do right, or what can I learn from this situation, and deciding that even if you fall down, what's really important is that you stand up and you keep going. And one of my favorite life quotes is basically, it's the fall seven times, stand up eight. And I love it because the presupposition is you're going to fall. Like, we, we, we miss that part of life often. We think, if I fall, I fail. In. And it's not that if you fall, you failed. It's more you're going to fall, but what really matters is that you're going to keep standing up over and over again. And every single time you do, you learn something, you get stronger, you move forward. And yet so much in society we feel there comes a point where you can't just get back up that everybody's going to be looking at us in horror because we just keep failing. We keep failing. We keep failing. And social media has really played a part in that. So much of what we see on social media is only the positive stuff. How often do we actually see the reality of the thousand things that led up to that perfect moment that gets posted on social media? Yeah, very, very true. I think back to when my oldest was little, and there was no social media, and I felt pressure from the Family Fun magazine to make a checkerboard cake, which I still couldn't do. And I think now, to the the intensity of seeing everybody's lives on display, and I'm, I just like to be this voice, this reminder that what's often behind the picture is so much more powerful than even the picture that you see it is like you said, those thousand moments that led up to the picture, because we all, I've never met anybody that says, you know what, my life is so perfect, I've never had anything that's been a struggle, and I really believe if we embrace the spaces that we all have different stories, different struggles, different highlights, then we don't have to get stuck into that kind of comparison space, that space of what will they think, and I can tell you very truthfully from those moments when you feel like you can't get back up and all the plates are on the ground, there's something really powerful about it is you get to choose which plates you pick back up again. If they've already all fallen, everything that you've been trying to keep going is all of a sudden out through the open. At that moment, it shifts to this great power of, you know what, I don't need to do that in my life anymore, and I choose to leave it there, and I'm going to pick this back up instead. Oh. Okay, everybody, that is a tweetable moment out there. You know, I can't tweet and do my show at the same time. I just can't do it because I'm so focused. But choose which plates to pick up when they've all fallen down. Rachel, I just love that. It's such a beautiful thought. And even this thought that popped into my head when you said that was, and if I don't like any of the ones on the ground, I can go reach to a shelf and go get something else. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. It's, It's so true. I love the idea that we're not bound to whatever we have spinning in this moment. And, you know, you look at our kids, or I look at my own kids, and I see say to them, like, go try something new. And sometimes I think for us as adults, we grow older and we think, well, I'm, like, for me, I'm 44. Sometimes I think I should have life figured out. And, you know, life is always about figuring out what's next. 
whatever I was at 20, I'm not the same person at 24. I wouldn't expect my my, uh, 23-year-old daughter to tell me to go by what she was doing when she was 12 because I recognize that life is about change and and kind of evolution of self. And that's a perfect thought. Perfect thought to lead us right into our national news break. We'll be right back with more from Rachel Marie Martin, author of The Brave Art of Motherhood. But really, we're talking about life and entrepreneurship and picking yourself up and choosing which plates you pick up after they fall. And we'll be right back. And uh, don't miss it. Welcome back, everybody, listening to us live on iHeartRadio and listening on the podcast. You didn't have to listen to the national news, but welcome back anyway. I am here with Rachel Marie Martin, author of The Brave Art of Motherhood, Fight Fear, Gain Confidence, and Find Yourself Again, but more than that, the founder of FindingJoy.net. Rachel, I I love the work that you're doing, and during the break, and I'm going to have to start showing what happens during the break, because I love those conversations during the news breaks and stuff. We, We talked about that it's okay for it not to be okay. It's okay to acknowledge that whatever's happening in your life is not okay. But yet we all seem to want to say, no matter how much pain we're in, it's okay. It'll get better. It's okay. But it's not. And you explained a situation with your son that really brought that to you. Would you be willing to share that? I would love to. So I I believe I said earlier in in the broadcast that my youngest son, and if I didn't, he has celiac disease, and he was diagnosed as a little boy, and I was really thankful for the diagnosis, but what went along with it was a lot of monitoring, and it was a lot of lab works and blood draws, and as any parent knows, or even as I know, it's like the thing I hate the most, and this idea that it's okay to like say this is not okay happened when Sam was three, and we were at a clinic, and it was another lab draw, and they had the tourniquet on him, and he is screaming and crying and saying, no, Mommy, no, make them stop. And I was saying, it's okay, it's okay. And he's screaming, and all of a sudden it hit me that it really wasn't okay, that I had to say to him, Sam, you're right, this is not okay. It's not fair that you have to do this. And I, I wanted to recognize, because sometimes we even get stuck up in that what's fair But in that moment, it really wasn't. This wasn't in his plan for life is to be having these lab draws. And so I said to him, Sam, it's not, it's okay that it's not okay. And I know this is really hard, but you can be strong and you can get through this and I'm going to be with you. And it was, we were able to recognize, even at three, that I was able to recognize that it really wasn't a moment that was easy or right or fair or comfortable And instead of trying to package it and bandage it up, I just acknowledged it. Let him know that this is a part of life that's just not that great, but that it doesn't need to define whatever happens beyond that moment. One of my guests, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, was recently on the show. She has a book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. And during the break, you used the phrase, meet in the feeling, because when you meet in the feeling, that's when things can change. And that, that's something she talks about a lot in the book is you can't ignore these feelings. So you're acknowledging to your son that this is not okay, this is not fe- fair, allowed both of you to process how sucky it was. Yeah, it was like actually saying to myself, this in the scheme of life isn't something I would have signed up for him. And as a three-year-old, 
he certainly didn't want to deal with that. And when you can acknowledge that this is a pain point of life, that this is something that's probably not our best day, it gives you the freedom to move forward from it. If we were, if I was constantly trying to put frosting on something that's ugly or hard, you, you still know the truth. It's still there, and you're never allowed to deal with it. And to me, acknowledging the emotion, meeting in the feeling, means that you're saying, I meet you in your humanness. This is part of being a human, is experiencing kind of the downer moments, because in those moments, when you can acknowledge them, you give space and freedom to acknowledge that there's going to be good moments as well. And if you don't acknowledge that, you can't shift. That's what I'm yeah, hearing. Yeah, I, I really don't believe you can shift in that. And for me as a parent, my it's okay, it's okay was almost more to try to keep everything comfortable for myself. It was eye-opening to myself to recognize that I was just trying to make it to seem okay in the moment. And there's something powerful about meeting somebody in the space where they are and letting them grieve, letting them feel, not having all the answers, but meeting them there and to be the person that comes underneath to support them as they try to stand up again. You, you talk about this moment in your book and on some other interviews you've had where you're sitting in a parking lot trying to find enough change to go in and buy a bag of frozen corn, mm-hmm. which was... 76 cents or something like that. You've, and, and, you know, we talked about the filling the gas tank thing. You're now this incredible entrepreneur where you're not fumbling in your pocket for 76 cents worth of change. You have how many children? Seven, something like that? I do have seven. Seven children, which I can't even fathom. I have enough trouble taking care of myself lately. I can't even imagine taking care of seven other human beings and raising them to stand on their own two feet to the best of their ability. What was the turning point for you with deciding this is this is the direction I'm going to take to move me and show my children that they can have anything they want. That entrepreneurial thing that you started doing with FindingJoy.net and blogging. The turning point, people always want a very specific turning point. And I know Uh, there's not one. (laughs) Yeah, it's really like this buildup of constant decisions, like going back to the 76 cents with the corn in the car. I remember, I can remember, it was a Saturn. Um, it was my grandpa's Saturn that somebody gave us um, to use. And I can remember the frustration and the hum- humiliation of trying to find enough change. And I can remember thinking that if I don't change this, this is what my children are going to learn is acceptable and okay. They're going to learn that this is what you tolerate. And uh, it was Anthony Robbins said, you get what you tolerate. And that was an eye, another eye-opening moment was I realized I was tolerating life. I was tolerating 76 cents as being normal. I was tolerating the gas man coming to my door to turn off the gas as just something normal and out of my control. And it wasn't until I decided this all is within my control. This is all within my capabilities that I've been given that I made the shift. It didn't mean that I knew exactly what to do right away. It meant that instead of pushing it off as a passive place that I didn't know what to do, 
I decided to actively pursue the places that scared me, that I thought were without reach, and I decided that I'm going to make them something that I am not afraid of and that I can understand and that I can figure out. And and that's how you ended up becoming an entrepreneur doing blogging? Um, well, it started out simply. I was homeschooling my kids years ago, and I'd always been, I'd been in Yahoo groups. I was online as soon as online came, and people in my Yahoo groups were said, hey, I'm going to start a blog. It just became that thing. And I, I started initially blogging partially because of that, and partially because as a homeschooler, we didn't have any, we didn't have money. And I knew that if I wrote about homeschool curriculum, um, people would send me it to review. And it became a practical way to fuel a need in my family. But what I didn't realize at the time was, in those moments of writing, it also started to fuel my heart, which I had put on hold for a long time. It gave me this creative space to start to be introspective, to start to look at my life, to start to say, you know what, this isn't okay. This is not a normal situation. And the more I started to become introspective, the more honest and real I started to become in my writing. And often people would write to me saying, I don't know how you could be so brave and write about that. And I would just say, well, if I'm feeling this, chances are there's another person feeling the same thing. And that's how it started to grow. What do you think was the... um, Trying to figure out the best way to phrase this question... Because so many people blog, right? But it never mm-hmm. goes anywhere. No matter how consistently they they blog, it, it doesn't become something that they make money at or that goes viral. In this day and age, everybody wants that viral video. They want that viral post that gets millions of hits. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, even if they get that, they don't know what to do with it. So how did you move from just writing blogs that were sharing things to help your family and get these homeschool things to realizing, wow, this is a business. Uh, It happened with the first Google check that I received from Google ads. Uh, If you remember back that I, I wasn't, I was in a really dire financial situations and that opened my eyes to, Hey, I could make money. And uh, it, it shifted the power to something that I could do. And people, but beyond that, you know, people ask all the time, how do you keep writing that? How do you build the audience? How do you have so many things that have gone viral? And it always comes back to one thing, and it comes back to understanding my audience, understanding who I'm writing to, and being 100% authentic in my words to them so that the community is about, it's a community. It's listening. It's about moving forward together. And it became also not listening to the naysayers. I've been, I've been blogging for a long time, and you're constantly hearing, oh, Facebook's changed their algorithm, it doesn't work, or Twitter's changed this, or all of that. And if you listen to the noise that tells you everything that's wrong, it could stop you. So I decided I'm not going to listen to the noise, and what everybody else is doing, I'm going to do something different so I stand out on my own. And I just decided, just like I do with my life, one foot after another. If something doesn't go viral or doesn't get amazing pages, I can learn from it. What can I learn from it? How can I change it? And if something does go is dramatic, I can learn from that as well. So it was constantly allowing myself to be in a state of learning. 
and never judging success based on those numbers, but using them as a, a place of learning what to do next. So you're able to step back and really look honestly at the post, the article, the whatever you've put out there, the offer or whatever you've put out there and say, okay, how does this compare to the other? What What's working? What's not working? And you're willing to really look at it truthfully, which a lot of people aren't. You know, it is that. I, I give the example of when I was in college, I studied architecture and design. And I learned very quickly that there's, there was one way to be successful and to learn a lot. And it was, we would put all of our arts that we had done on the wall. And then the class would critique it. And I, I, I discovered that the students who got defensive over the critiques or frustrated or had to prove that they were right, their work never evolved. It stayed stuck. But if I was willing to listen to the critiques and to not take it as a personal slam against what, what I had done, but as rather a critique, a insight, I could change and, and evolve at a greater rate. And I think that I've taken that mindset to writing and working in this online space because it's constantly evolving. It's constantly moving. It's, it's not fixed like business was 20, 30 years ago. It's in a constant state of flux. And as a result, you have to kind of constantly be moving with it like it's a wave and understand that as a wave has its dips and valleys and high points, it's the same thing with social media. And when you're in the lower spot, that it's not necessarily bad. It just means that there's an opportunity to figure out how do I get to the top part of the next wave. That wave metaphor keeps coming into my life. Somebody used it for me with grief when I was in the worst of it after my mom. They they said that you can be at the top of the 100-foot wave where you're just mm-hmm. sort of gliding along, or you could be at the bottom waiting for that wave to crash down on top of you. And at mm-hmm. some point, the point between the two waves increases and increases, and that's where most of us play, right, as entrepreneurs. We're, we're hoping to either be at the top of the wave or be in the time between the sets of the waves. But really, what you're saying is embrace being smashed down by the wave. Yeah, and if you look at it, I, I study the data. I study traffic. I study what made something go viral. And then my goal always was, if there's something where we got a high peak of traffic, top of the wave, that the crash down would be just a little bit higher so that it was constantly moving up it didn't need to stay at that peak part but if i could learn enough to figure out okay we're gonna we're gonna go back to this new plateau and then the next time we're gonna go back to this one it led to constant growth and i think sometimes you could have something go viral and never replicate it again to ever figure out what was it and so i I spend a lot of time just like i do in my own life introspective i spend a lot of time just trying to understand how something works on this in this crazy online world and allowing myself to test, to play around, to going back to that college analogy of the papers on the wall, to, to learn from basically the critiques of my audience. What did they like? What did they resonate with? And how can I engage with them in an authentic way that moves us forward together stronger? Because... The more you have moving together, the more force and impact you can have. For somebody that's trying to build an online presence while being authentic, 
Are there some steps you can recommend to them to get them started or if they feel like they're sort of in a rut? I know we don't have a lot of time left in the show and you you and and, um, Dan Morris are going to be back on in a few weeks where we'll be talking a lot more about this. But a couple of thoughts you could give? I would say the number one is to listen to your audience. And oftentimes we think, well, I'm not getting any comments. Well, I always say... Who's liking it? Who shared it? If you've gotten one share and you can click on it and you can see that it went to, for me, like it often goes to a midwife service, I understand that that article related to those people. And then what I do is thank them. So I create this constant dialogue, like a spidering web out of, from my central point. And the other thing I would tell everybody is every single person online, everybody starts at zero. And the biggest um, grade that we often give us is, I don't want to put it, what if nobody sees anything? If you have one day where you have 10 likes and the next day you have 20 likes, something changed. People don't go from 10 likes to a million likes overnight. So it's being willing to celebrate those incremental goals, figure out what's the difference between 10 and 20. And if you can figure out what made the difference, chances are you can make 20 to 40 the next time. A friend of mine said to me that, Understanding keywords or how people are searching for you is one of the best ways to grow your following on social media. You can write the most incredible article in the world, but if people don't know how to find it, it's not going to help. It's not going to help the people you wrote the article to help. Would you agree with that? Okay. Well, I agree with it. I think it comes back to knowing your audience, knowing uh, what people search for, but it's also that listening. Like uh, the article, I have one letter to a mom that's called Dear Mom Who Feels Like She's Failing. And it was inspired by somebody that wrote a comment that said, I love what you write, but I feel like I'm failing. Well, you could think, well, it's just a comment. But for me, I realized, you know what? She gave me insight into her. She gave me, I, got, I gained insight into the audience. So I wrote, Dear Mama Feels Like She's Failing, because, you know, I'd struggled with that, too. And the most surprising thing happened was is that reader ended up commenting, saying, I feel like this was written for me. And that was one of the first things that I had that went viral. And what's powerful about that, it's like keywords, but it was more, I took the keywords out of the comments that people were leaving about motherhood. I started listening, what's the constant theme that I'm hearing right now? And can I write to that theme based off of authentic moments in my own life, not contrived things, but actual spaces where I was willing to tap in and share part of my own story? So I think it's this mixture of understanding the keywords, understanding your audience, listening to them, and then for my story, being able to weave in moments that kind of share that collective humanness that we all share. And you've done it very successfully for a number of years, and I want to make sure that people can find you because you have so much wisdom to share, Rachel. I mean, truly beautiful wisdom. The work you're doing is amazing, not only with the sharing of of your latest book, The Brave Art of Motherhood, which everybody listening, I don't care if you're a mother or not, This book's going to have something for everybody, and Mother's Day is coming up, but I think every 
child, every parent should read it, and every entrepreneur, because really, it's it's about entrepreneurship. <laughs> if if nothing else, it's every mother is truly an entrepreneur. <laughs> Yeah, that is, it's very true. It is, I would say that if you're not a mom, I tell this often, I was on a podcast for dads, that it's almost looking at motherhood as the example for this type of change. And I love learning from other communities. As a writer, some of the best examples I've learned are from watching musicians and how they play on stage. And I love the idea that our eyes are opened when we can look through at life through the lens of somebody else. That's beautiful. Let's let's share how people can find you. Well, you can find me at FindingJoy.net. And if you're on Facebook, our group there is Finding Joy Blog. And it's it's fantastic. It's a very authentic community. And other than that, you I, I would love it if you'd read or get my book, The Brave Art of Motherhood. It is, um, it's kind of the story. It's the passion of what made me go from coming change in my car to having a successful business, and actually discovering my own heart and happiness again as well. A, a great lesson for all of us in life, right? How to find our hearts and move forward with it. I love that. And I, I think it's on sale right now, isn't it? I know that people may not listen to this right now um, in the podcast because it stays up there, but I think it's on sale on Amazon. Uh, yeah, the uh, Kindle book on Amazon, I believe it's through Mother's Day, is only $1.99. I really wanted it to be accessible to moms. I wanted it to be this place where you could read it, you could, because I really, I believe in us, uh, in the power to change our life. And so, until then, it's $1.99 on Kindle, otherwise it's, I believe, ten ninety nine for the paperback, which uh, is a perfect size, I would say it fits into a purse um, available on Amazon as well. Yeah, so instead of a pocket paperback it's a purse paperback <laughs> purse paperback yeah purse you know, I, I just really wanted it to be something that you could grab and read that wasn't bulky that you could highlight up that you could reference and go back to again and again i love it so last thoughts that you'd like to leave my listeners with we've got a few minutes well, left i i would love to just remind people that the dreams of their heart matter and that it doesn't matter what age you are um because there are so many people in life that they didn't start their success or what you know them for until they were older. And I, I just constantly am thinking about that if you put off till tomorrow, um, you're living life on hold. So I always tell myself and other people that if you say, I'll just wait till tomorrow or when this changes, then I'll take care of it, that it might be time to decide to figure out what is that then and start going after it and really trying to achieve it now I have a, a friend of mine who made a promise to his daughter and it was a promise that probably should not have been made because <laughs> it took himself completely out of the equation and his own happiness hmm. and what would you say to somebody who's made that, that choice and is afraid to disappoint their their daughter knowing that they need to change this promise i believe that there will come a point where the truth will become known to the daughter too and that it's a better service to them to sit down and explain the reality of it that um there are moments in life that just like my son samuel that don't go as planned that there are moments in life where even as best as we try it doesn't it doesn't go 
the way we wanted it. And it's not because of our lack of love. And there's a great bravery and a deep love in being honest and talking about how life is about adjusting plans, adjusting the sales, figuring out what to do now. And family is about sticking with each other in those moments where we feel like we've let them down or we feel like we failed. And it's that family, that kind of camaraderie and that community and that love, it can grow stronger when we decide to be authentic and real with where we are. I kept hearing my dad and my mom, as you were saying that, going, the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And it, once you admit the truth to yourself and to everybody else, it seems like life gets just a lot easier. And I would think it's a lot easier to get out of your rut as well. Yes, that is, it reminds me of back to the middle of the podcast with the plates. When okay. all the plates drop, it's truth. There's so much, there's fear in dropping them, but there's freedom in the moment when they're all, when they're all exposed to the world because then you're free, like we chatted about, to pick up what you want to pick up again and let go of what you need to let go of. Oh, beautiful thought to end the show on. Thank you so much for being here, Rachel. Thank you very much. It was very fun. And everybody, you can get her book, Anywhere Books Are Sold, Brave Art of Motherhood. Find and connect with her on findingjoy.net. I love this show because we're talking about thoughts. We're talking about authenticity and finding your own joy. And I like to do that through questions. So remember, everybody, the right questions can change your life. Have a great day. See you next week. Questions starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 